Well, we welcome those of you who are joining us online as well as those of you who are meeting here at Central Campus, along with others who are meeting at one of our other campuses in Airdrie and Bridgeland and South Calgary and at Bears Paw. Well, you may find this hard to believe, but we come now to the final chapter and the final message of this series in the book of Romans. I trust some of you are old enough to remember when we started. (laughs) Now, if you read Romans 15 and 16, which I challenged you to do in the in the no email that we send out every Friday, then you know chapter 16 is mostly filled with hard to pronounce names. And in a few minutes, I will demonstrate just how difficult some of them are to pronounce. Now, if we're honest, most of us do not find reading long lists of names very inspiring. It's kind of like reading through a phone book. And so we avoid, let's be honest, we kind of speed speed read through those chapters in the Bible. Unless, unless there is someone on that list that we know and care about. You know, in Atlanta, Georgia, there is a, uh, a wall of names of the 58,220 soldiers who died in the Vietnam War. Fred Craddock tells of the time he witnessed a woman approach that wall of names, put her finger on a particular name, and then she held up a child and put the child's finger on that particular name after which she kissed the wall at that name. You see, to her, this wasn't just a list of names. That wall of names served as a precious reminder of someone that she loved and cared deeply about. The names that Paul included in chapter 16 represented real people who he loved and appreciated but were also used greatly by God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture, yes, that includes scripture with names, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And so we know God has something to say to us through the lives and the example of those that Paul mentions in this chapter. Now, you may recall from last time, I pointed out that Paul had one overarching pursuit in life, and that was to know Jesus and to make him known to others. In Philippians 1.21, Paul boldly declared, for to me, to live is Christ. In Romans 15, he wrote in verse 20, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Jesus was not known. Paul was all in with Jesus. He had one supreme focus in life, and that was to glorify Jesus and to introduce others to Jesus. However, he knew he couldn't do this on his own. He couldn't do it without the help of God or the help of others. When we think of Paul, we often envision him being a goal and task-oriented, get-it-done kind of leader. And make no mistake, he was that. But he was not a lone ranger. 
He loved people and working alongside people and accomplishing the mission that God gave him. And here in chapter 16, he mentions over 30 people who were a blessing and a source of strength to him. Partners in ministry who were absolutely vital to making Jesus famous and to establishing the church at that time in that part of the world. Now, Paul never visited the church in Rome. And so these are people that he knew previously in other places where he was ministering, where he was establishing churches, people that he befriended, that he invested in and partnered with in ministry and who eventually moved to Rome. They were not only friends, but pillars in his life and in his church planting ministry. You know, in Revelation 3-7, Jesus addressed the ancient church at Philadelphia. And he has high praise for them because even though they faced incredible opposition, they remained steadfast in the faith. They didn't quit or compromise what they knew to be true. In the eyes of Jesus, they were pillars of the church. And in verse 12, Jesus says, Him who overcomes... I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Not a man-made temple, but in God's temple to the new Jerusalem. And on that pillar, Jesus said, will be written not only our name, but the name of our heavenly Father. And Jesus goes on to say, I will also write my name on that pillar. And in saying this, Jesus was declaring the absolute crucial and vital role that pillar people play in his kingdom coming to earth, in his will being done on earth as it is in heaven, in his church being established, growing and persevering despite difficult and troublesome times. Now in chapter 15, Paul begins to spell out the characteristics of spiritually mature pillar-type people, which I talked about last time. And I challenged all of us at that time to think about those around our relational table. You'll remember the table we had up here. And I challenged you to ask yourself, to what degree are there spiritually mature pillar-type people at my table? who are aligned with me and the mission that God has called me to. And you see, this is vitally important because you're going to need these people for encouragement, for help, for accountability as you pursue God and his calling in your life. Well, here in chapter 16, Paul continues to spell out further qualities of spiritually mature people by introducing us to some of the pillar people who sat around his relational table and the character qualities they possessed. First of all, mature pillar Christians are faithful to Christ. He starts out in verse 1 by commending a woman named Phoebe. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sancria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people. 
and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Now, evidently, Phoebe was a businesswoman who had been using her skills and her wealth to support the church and to help many people. But Paul didn't endorse her life and her ministry solely on that basis. He endorsed her because she had a long history of helping and serving many people over the years, including Paul himself. She was a deacon at her home church, which was located just outside of Corinth. And the role that she had was a position of servant leadership, focusing on ministering to those in distress and meeting their material and physical needs, much like the compassion ministry of our church today. Pillar Christians have a real and vital relationship with Jesus Christ and will serve behind the scenes or if needed, they will be in front of thousands. It doesn't make any difference to them. They just do what God calls them to do. They do it for his glory, not their own, with a very open heart and a humble attitude. Pillar people put the interests of others ahead of themselves. They do not seek to please themselves. Pillar people, like literal pillars, if you think about it, they do all they can to keep the place from caving in. Pillar people can be depended on to keep things going. When children or youth leaders or workers are needed, they're prepared to lead, to pitch in and help out. When hamburgers need frying, they're at the grill. When there's things that need to be cleaned up, when there's weeds that need to be pulled, when there's things that need to be set up, they're there. When money runs short, they dig deep to meet the budget. Pillar people are also those who remain faithful regardless of the circumstances. They can be counted on not to compromise or to run away when the going gets tough. You know, church, you have no idea what an encouragement it is for me and for our church staff when people say, you know, I'm not just here for a good time and to get. No, I just want you to know I'm here for a long time. And I'm prepared to serve and to give. And they get out of the bleachers and they get into the playing field and they're generous with the time and, and the abilities and the spiritual gifts God has given to them as well as their financial resources. You have no idea how blessed I am to hear people say, I believe in the biblical message, the vision and the mission of this church and I want you to know I'm all in. I won't be turning back when the going gets tough or when I don't agree with others on some disputable matter you can count on me and my full support I can identify with Paul's gratitude for pillar people because lest you think otherwise we pastors are as human as the rest of you and there are days that my faith wavers there are days 
when I'm overcome with feelings of inadequacy or fear of failure. There are days when I feel like I fall so short of what I read in the scriptures. And oh, to be clear, there are days I am so absolutely excited about all the opportunities that we have to impact lives for eternity here in the city, across this nation, and around the world. But there are times I catch myself wondering, will we have the servant leaders and the helpers and the financial resources to do what God's calling us to do? But then many of you come to mind. I remember when we hit COVID and we were locked down for three months, had no clue what was going to happen. And you faithfully continue to support our church even while we were locked down. Many of you come to mind, your commitment to pray, your words of encouragement, to stand with us no matter what. And that strengthens my faith and encourages me to keep on keeping on. Pillars are wonderful godly people who help preachers like me to sleep peacefully at night because through your lives, your visible reminders that God is faithful and will never leave us or forsake us. And so I join Paul in saying, I thank my God every time I remember you. Pillar people are faithful to Christ. And of course, that leaves us with a question. Do we have those kind of pillar people around our relational table? And perhaps even more importantly, am I a pillar person in the life of another person or a group of other people? Secondly, mature pillar Christians are passionately committed to the mission of Christ. In verse 3, Paul greets Priscilla and Aquila, calling them his co-workers in Christ Jesus. We first meet this couple in Acts chapter 18, where Luke tells us that they were Jewish tent makers whom Paul met in Corinth. Paul moved in with them and soon introduced them to Jesus. Theirs was probably the first home in Corinth that started the church. And Luke tells us that after two years, Paul left to go to the city of Ephesus. And Priscilla and Aquila, they pulled up stakes and they went with them, where they took up tent making and opened up a church in their new home in Ephesus. And in verse 4, Paul writes, this couple risked their lives for me. Now, we don't know the details of what it is they did, but it reminds us that for pillar people, the mission of Christ is far more important than the comfort level of their lives. They have an attitude of abandonment, prepared to give up their very lives if necessary for the cause of Christ, or to die to anything that would distract them from the mission that God has called them to. In the same way that Esther, an, an, another phenomenal woman in the history of God's people was, was prompted by God to do something 
that could cost her her life. And yet she said, I am committed to doing what God has called me to do. And if I perish, I perish. Paul says that's what Priscilla and Aquila are like. And Paul lists many others, including Mary and Persis, Tryphena and Tryphosa, and many others who all worked hard to further the mission of Christ in and through the church. And then there's Andronicus and Junia or Junius, Paul's relatives who came to Christ before Paul actually did and spent time with Paul in prison because of their faith and their loyalty to the cause of Christ. Person after person, 27 in all are mentioned here because they loved the Lord, because they reeked with integrity and character and wouldn't compromise. People who gave their word and kept their word. People who said, I'm going to show up and actually showed up. People who didn't allow anything to take their eyes off Jesus and the mission he has called them to. Pillar people are passionately committed to the mission of Christ. Thirdly, mature pillar Christians reflect the love and acceptance of Christ. In John 13, verse 34, Jesus gave a new commandment that would characterize his new kingdom that would characterize his church. He said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. By this everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus said, the greatest indicator to others that you are my disciples is not how much you know, but how much you love one another. This was no small challenge for the Christians in that day because the early church consisted primarily of people who were far more natural enemies than they were natural friends. Imagine the relational dynamics that would have taken place between Jews and Gentiles, between slaves and slave owners, between the rich and the poor, and yes, the male and the female in a very patriarchal society. Imagine the dynamics that took place when they gathered for worship. Undoubtedly, their natural inclination would have been dislike for one another, disagreement with one another, and a great urge to avoid each other. And yet they chose, they made a decision to love one another in such a profound and countercultural way that those outside the church were amazed and wanted to be part of the church community. And ultimately, many of them became followers of Jesus Christ. So what motivated the early believers to love and to, to gather together with others in the church that they disagreed with, others who hurt them, others who looked down to them or they looked down on? Well, I don't think it was because they wanted to. I think there was only one reason that they chose to love and accept one another, and that was, their simple, that was simply their devotion and their obedience to Jesus Christ who saved them by his grace. 
It was obedience. And here in chapter 16, we see signs of Paul's friends that they were actually loving and accepting each other the way Jesus calls us to. You see, the people who are part of the, the church in Rome here were a diverse group. You can tell by the names that we see here in chapter 16. There were people representing different races. Priscilla and Aquila were Jews, while other names indicated Gentile and Greek backgrounds. There were people of different classes. Rufus and Urbanus were common slave names, while it's likely that uh, Aristobulus in verse 10 and Narcissus in verse 11 were people of high rank, perhaps even royalty. And of course, there were both male and female names listed. Now, it may not seem like a big deal to us today, but it would have been striking to a first century reader to see the level of respect and honor and value Paul was giving women here. What we read here about Phoebe and Priscilla and, and a number of other women mentioned was not commonly done in a first century document. Rome and Jerusalem were both very male-dominated societies. Very few women were educated. They had few rights, and in a court of law, their witness was not seen as equal to that of men. However, Jesus elevated the role of women. And Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, wrote in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He not only, I was expecting at least a few women to clap at this point. He not only called women by name, but referred to them in verse 3 as co-laborers. This went against the grain of everything in ancient culture, Jewish and otherwise. And yet in the early church, right up to our present day, women have played an active and an influential role in the ongoing ministry and mission of the church. All that to say, it's through Paul's friends that he lists here, we see that Christians were loving one another the way Christ calls us to. Paul's friends in the church in Rome we're sitting and serving together as one, as equals in Christ. And that's what is behind Paul's command in verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Some of you single guys, you read that verse and you think, all right, now there's a word from the Lord I'll gladly follow. But you see the word holy there is different from what you're thinking. In that day, a kiss like that on the cheek was a sign of friendship, of equality, where people, regardless of race, class, or gender, accepted and affirmed one another. And in doing so, they were saying, none of these areas of diversity matter. We are all one. We are equal in Christ. Now, in our day and in our church, we don't give holy kisses. At least we don't promote it. I'm sure it happens from time to time. But we do give holy hugs. 
and handshakes and eye contact and smiles and warm greetings because we want people who are part of our church, regardless of their color, their race, their education, their vocation, their financial status and resources or gender, to not only sense and experience the presence of God when we gather, but we also want them to sense and experience the love of God in us and between us. So let's keep the hugs and the handshakes, the eye contact and the greetings holy, but please, let's make a point of reaching out and regularly extending the love of Christ to one another. Paul says that's what spiritually mature pillar people do. And then fourthly, spiritually mature pillar people are protective of Christ's church. Now make no mistake, no one is more protective of the church than Jesus Christ himself. And the reason for that is we're talking about the bride of Christ. And he will deal with anyone who intentionally, persistently seeks to hurt, mess with, or bring division to his church, especially in a premeditated way. But pillar people are also protective. Look at verse 17. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Jesus Christ. So who are they, who are they serving? their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. You know, years ago, I, I heard the story on the news about a young boy who was attacked by several dogs and how the boy's father rushed to his son's defense and was bitten repeatedly by these dogs until they finally left them alone. Well, in the same way that a loving parent naturally protects their child, so those who are in Christ-centered relationships in the church, they will protect one another from deception, division, and going sideways morally. They'll love them enough to confront them in love. In the passage I just read, Paul warns us to watch out for those who cause divisions. He challenges us to keep learning and growing in God's word and to stay alert to those who come along with their pet doctrines and their viewpoints and try to create division and to deceive. Often these people will focus on just one doctrine and make it appear that it is not only the most important doctrine in the Bible, but it should be the primary, if not the only focus of the church. And here's the thing, when a person elevates and focuses so much on one particular teaching of the scriptures and keeps communicating their viewpoint to everyone that they meet in the church, they are not only setting the stage for division and unrest in the church, because it will create imbalance in the church, but their Christian life will lack 
a healthy foundation and balance that Christ calls us to have that comes from the many key teachings of Scripture. And so you ask, well, what are some of the doctrines and some of the teachings some try to elevate more than others? Well, one area is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Another that we see a lot these days is prophecy, the events leading up to Christ's return. Another is the doctrine of predestination and election. And still another area has to do more with convictions about what the church should look like, how it should be structured and function, what its priority should be, where the money the church receives should go. And on and on the list goes. And again, to be clear, the issue is not so much that we have certain convictions about the church and how it should function. The issue is when we intentionally and consistently take every opportunity we have to tell others our convictions that not only results in unrest and division and people becoming cynical of the church, but most tragically causes some people to walk away from the church. Paul teaches many of these people are motivated by their own appetite to be noticed. Their own appetite to have a following. And will often stir people up and create dissension. They may even attempt to go off and start their own group or even start their own church. And Paul's advice is simple. In verse 17 he says, keep away from them. Now this may seem to contradict what Paul says in Romans 15 where he calls us to accept one another, to not cancel one another, to not shun one another. But remember, we are to accept one another and not judge one another when it comes to disputable matters or those situations the Bible does not speak to or does not address in a clear and a full way. Paul is speaking about those situations where a person embraces a doctrine or an ideology or a lifestyle that is clearly contrary to the scripture and even though they want us to accept and embrace their unbiblical lifestyle, their unbiblical worldview or teaching, they are unwilling to accept and embrace the Christian worldview or the clear teaching of Scripture. In situations like this, where attempts have been made to explain the way of Christ and the Scriptures, but the person is absolutely close to the Christian worldview as laid out in the scriptures, Paul says, there comes a point where you just need to keep away from such people and their attempts to deceive. Mature pillar Christians protect the church from division and deception. And then finally, mature pillar Christians Bless others in Jesus' name. We see Paul doing this all the way through the final chapter of Romans. He blesses them by thanking them, by praising them, by commending them. Paul loved to bless others, and in doing so, he taught those at his relational table, including us today, how to also be a blessing to others in Jesus' name. In Philippians 2, Paul wrote, do nothing 
out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul says if you really want to bless others, then focus on others rather than yourself. And focus on their interests. Daily have the attitude and the mindset that says, Lord, help me bless someone today with a smile, with a holy hug, with a word of encouragement or a helpful behavior. Help me to be quick to compliment, to be generous with praise. Help me to give credit where credit is due. Help me to accept the ministry of others and to affirm the ministry of others and to appreciate and give thanks to God for the gifts and the ministry of other people. Even if those gifts are more influential and impactful than my gifts. Lord, help me to be a blessing to everyone I meet and to promote unity and harmony in our church, in our community group, in our ministry to children, to youth, to young adults, by resisting any attitude, gossip, or behavior that hurts, that divides. And instead, with God's help and by His grace, may I be a person who reflects the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the, the, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, and the self-control of Jesus. <clears throat> Mature pillar-type Christians bless others like this in Jesus' name as a way of life. In closing, I just want to say again, and you hear me say it often, write it often. Just how much I love being your senior pastor. I say that in large part because so many of you are pillar Christians. So many of you have Christ-centered, grace-filled, loving hearts. God bless you for your courageous, passionate concern for the spiritually lost people around you for serving and giving faithfully and sacrificially of your time, of the gifts and abilities God has given to you and your financial resources to the Lord. God bless you for that. Lives are being transformed daily because of your faithfulness in this city around and around the world. Now, when you came into the auditorium today, you received a little card with nothing on it. And you're probably wondering, what on earth is this about? Well, I want you to take it right now. I want you to grab a pen. And I want to give you the opportunity to thank God for the life and ministry of someone in your life. I talked to someone after the, the, the nine o'clock service and they said, thank you for reminding me to do this. It's been so long. So I want you to think of the pillar type people God used to impact, perhaps even change the trajectory of your life and your eternity. Write their name down. Think of the pillar Christian who impacted you the most when, when you were a child. 
when you were a young person. Write their name down. Write down the name of the pillar Christian who has been or is being used by God in the life of a loved one, a child, a parent, a sibling. And many of those, you know, you don't see up here. They're, they're, they're back in some room loving on your youth and on your kids. Take a moment right now and ask the Lord to remind you of the people who have blessed your life and who you now want to bless. Just write down some of those names right now. stop writing that list when you leave this place you go to God when you're driving home you go to God often this week and say Lord remind me of some people that I need to bless some people I need to thank and encourage today and so I now have two challenges for you first of all I want you to commit to writing a genuine note of encouragement to the people on your list this week you can write it, you can email it, you can text it, you can tell them personally or on the phone. Just be sure you do it. And my second challenge is this. I'm going to ask you to take the next three to four minutes and turn to the person next to you or near you and share with them the first name of one person that's on your list and how they've blessed you how they've ministered to you, the difference they've made in your life. And after you both share, say a prayer of thanks for that person and then pray for each other too. Now I know that in every crowd there's introverts and some of you are getting a little squirmy right now and that's okay. I want to encourage you to pray anyways. Even if you want to pray alone, that's fine. Pray and thank God for the people that are on your list. Let's take a few minutes to do that right now.
were to ask me, what is the one thing out of this entire study of Romans that we must not forget? My answer would simply be this. There is only one thing that God asks of us. And it's not a bunch of religious activity or a bunch of religious works, though there's nothing wrong with those. The reason it's not about religious works is because the work that saves us has already been done through Jesus Christ our Lord. He offers what he accomplished on the cross as a gift of his amazing grace. The only thing he asks in return is that we would just believe him and that we would believe him to such a degree that we would actually live that way to the glory of God. Because if you want to know what you really believe, all you have to do is look at how you live. That's it. Believe him and live like you believe him to the glory of God. And so with that in mind, let's give all the glory to God right now. Would you stand, please? And let's join together in magnifying his holy name.